Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. In March of 1998, Alicia Poulsen was happy with her life. She was a 29-year-old newlywed settling into a new job in a new city, and that's when the unexpected happened. She had this horribly freak accident. She fortunately was able to stitch herself a distraction. She decorated vintage pillowcases with silk ribbon embroidery, an act that signaled the beginning of her creative awakening. Today, Alicia is 37 and happy again. She lives with the lasting effects of her accident, but has worked hard to craft herself a beautiful future. On this episode of Craft Sanity, she's going to tell us the inspiring story of how she became a successful crafty designer and businesswoman. She makes lovely things, including handbags, pretty aprons, crocheted baby dresses, paper mache birds, and all these really cool things that she sells on the web. She's also co-owner of Ella Posey, a baby bridal birthday and just because boutique in Portland. She also writes the wonderful Posey Gets Cozy blog that's very popular on the web. Alicia's story is one of creative determination and personal reinvention, so prepare to be inspired. Did you go to school for art or craft? I went to Augustana College, which is a little college in Illinois, and I got a bachelor's degree in English. And then I went to graduate school at the University of Montana, and I got a master's degree in creative writing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously I became a handbag designer, I mean. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many handbag designers were English majors. <laughs> Outside the art department, I think creative writing is about as creative as it gets in yeah, a, at a I university. Mean, I, 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 of course, have discerned many similarities. I try to justify that to my, you know, to my parents <laughs> who are horrified. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, I think when you're an English major, you, you you do it because you love to read or write or whatever it is. And, you know, the English department isn't going to tell you that there's really nothing to do when you get out of school. <laughs> um, I mean, many people find that out, you know. But um, so, you, I mean, that's the thing. If you want to be, say you wanted to make a living as a writer, almost every writer that I knew had to go find another job, too. So um, it's just sort of part of the part of the whole thing. You're all, like, if you're actually going to study English, you, you learn to get good at at a few other things, too. One of those things might be waitressing or something like that, but, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of, I guess, akin to becoming an actor, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So, and they might actually struggle a little more. Yeah. I remember know? my friend, who's now, of course, a famous writer, but then he, we got out of school like 10 years ago, and he said, I can't believe this. I figured out what I wanted to do, you know, right. He goes, and now they're telling me, I have to figure out something else. <laughs> it is kind of cruel because, um, you know, I, I, I became a journalist, I guess, for practical reasons because mm -hmm. I, I want my dream is to be a famous author as well. You know? but, right. But, I mean, you can sit around in a class. I've taken those creative writing classes where it's a class full of dreamers. Yeah. And we're all dreaming the same dream of writing this fabulous book and then... But the reality is you have to pay the bills somehow, yeah. unless yeah. you have a grant Yeah, or like starving to death doesn't exactly induce creativity somehow. I don't well, know. it might make for a hell of a story down the road, but, you know, 
But there's that whole risk of death from yeah, not eating, exactly. you know. You might not live to write the story. My goodness. Well, or I skipped one crucial thing about your family. You live in Portland, Oregon with who? I live with my husband, um, and he is. All, we're all from Chicago. So transplants. So, yeah. Uh, he and I went to college together. What led you guys to Oregon? Um, we, I brought him with me to Montana. This was probably, I think we left Vermont, we left Illinois in 1994, so like 12 years ago. And we lived in Montana for three years, and my husband and my sister's husband, who is also from our hometown, we all grew up in River Forest and Oak Park, uh, he and my husband were really good friends. And so we were ready to leave Missoula, and Julie, my sister, and her husband were living in Eugene, Oregon, where he had gone to graduate school in sculpture. And we weren't really ready to go back to Chicago, um, but we we definitely wanted to go to a bigger city than Missoula, and Portland just felt like we had visited there once with a friend and felt like kind of a nice hybrid between Missoula and Chicago. And we wanted to be closer to Julie and, and Michael. My parents and our little sister were still living back in Chicago. And then all these horrible things happened, and my parents kind of freaked out and decided they needed to come out here um, and live closer to us in Oregon. Well, one horrible thing and one good thing. My sister found out that she was pregnant the day before I got run over by a garbage truck. Oh, my goodness. So that was in 1998, and my parents just kind of freaked out and packed up and sold the house that they had lived in for over 30 years and came out here to Oregon to be closer to us with our little sister. So how how did the garbage truck accident happen? Um, It happened, it was about six months after we had moved here and gotten married. We got married while we still lived in Missoula. And then we immediately moved to Portland. And um, in that spring, I was crossing the street on my way to work, and a garbage truck was turning, and he said the sun was in his eyes, and he basically plowed me down oh my goodness. in the crosswalk. So I was, I mean, I by the time I realized that he was actually accelerating and coming at me and didn't, didn't see me, um, I was running, but not quite fast enough, so... He ran over my ankle and foot, basically, and I had what is called literally a degloving. So it stripped all the skin and soft tissue from my ankle and foot, and I had to oh my goodness. Um, have a bunch of surgeries to have it sort of put back together out of other parts of my body. Are you able to walk on it? or? Yeah, I'm able to walk on it. I have I wear a special shoe and all sorts of, like, special equipment to allow me to do that and oh I don't goodness. walk like I mean the irony is that I had been this famous walker you know I'd never owned a car I walked miles and miles every day and I had done that my whole life you know since I was a kid um so now I walk like around the house or you know to run errands or do what I have to do but I get tired you know by dinner time I'm usually like sitting there with my foot up somewhere I don't I I it's quite compromised, and I definitely don't have the capacity of a normal person in any way. But, you know, the, the alternative was to amputate, um, which a lot of people thought would have been the right thing to do, and we just made the decision based on 
you know, when that happens, you don't have very much time to consider oh, all the no. alternatives. Oh, no. Well, it's such a... You kind of have to make the best decision that you yeah. can. It's a really unusual injury to have, and um, we just decided to try to save it, knowing, of course, that, you know, amputation is always an option in the future. So it's been eight years since that happened, and, you know, it's a permanent disability, so I... Um, I mean, it's something that I'm very conscious of and live with every day, but I think if most people saw me, they would think that I just wear two different shoes. They probably wouldn't know why I was doing that. They might just think you're extremely creative and that maybe they should consider wearing two different shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I've had some people say that they really like the other shoe, which is like the ugliest shoe in the world, but, you know... Well, I think just, you know, the whole creative thing you have going, um, kind of the artistic side, people might think, wow, you know, maybe that's just her style. Well, that's a good perspective. I haven't thought about that. Yeah, you might, you you never know. There might be people walking around thinking you're just, like, really super hip, you know. Um, That's right. (laughs) You might be able to start a trend. Well, I'm so glad to hear that um, you pulled through that and everything, you know. I mean, but it's, and you're right. I mean, you can't, it's not exactly like a, um, you know, you can get on a website and consult with 12 other people who've had the same accident because that's pretty unusual yeah, to have happen, and um, not the best welcome to, you know, to Oregon. But um, it sounds like you've you've made that your home, and your family ended up following you out. Your parents then end up moving after that. Yeah, yeah. they did. They um, they moved about six months after that happened, um, and then my dad passed away shortly after that. But oh, my I'm mom sorry. continued to stay here, and now everybody they were living at sort of little scattered towns around Portland and closer to Eugene and stuff. But now everybody's here in Portland except for our littlest sister who eventually moved to Charleston, South Carolina. But the rest of us are, are all still here in Portland and I it's it's unlikely that we'll move. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> one like of those things I mean, I don't think that we ever came to Portland with the intention of of staying, you know, forever, but when everybody has kind of uprooted their lives and started over and, and you know, now, if you it's guys a lot say, different than being here by yourself and right. kind of, you know, deciding where you want to live and all that stuff. So Right, and they might not like it too much if you said, you know, we've been here long enough, we're gonna go back now. <laughs> I mean if it if we yeah. did, which everybody sort of always talks about, um, it would probably be a collective A massive movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a caravan of moving mm-hmm. trucks. Well that's yeah. great. It's great to have that family network and, and be so close to yeah. people. So um so, okay, now that we've established who you're living in Oregon with, um, which is everyone, it sounds like, with yeah. the exception of your little sister, um, why don't we pick back up with your um, history of, you know, you went from the creative writing, you know, you studied creative writing and graduated. What did you do right after you graduated with your, um, it was an MFA that you got then? Yeah. Yeah. I um, I worked as an editor here in Portland. Um, I think I had a job, you know, right when I moved um, when I moved to Portland, and I was, I was an editor when I got run over by the truck, so I had to take a few months off, um, and then I did go back to work about three months after that happened, sort of part-time and on crutches, and um, it was sort of a, it was very messy, but the people that I worked with, it was a sort of small family-owned company, were fantastic, and they took care of me, and, you know, let me like put my foot up on the conference table during meetings and picked me up and drove me around. Because for a while, you know, I didn't even have a car. I barely really knew how to drive, actually. Um, And I continued to work at that publishing company for about three years. And I'm, you know, I, I credit them with a huge part of my recovery because 
we had been in Portland for such a short time that we didn't even know where the hospital was. I mean, we just didn't know anything. We didn't have friends here. We didn't, you know, my sister hadn't moved here yet, all of that stuff. So, um, so I, when I, when I started in publishing, I figured I would just be an editor forever. I mean, that was really what I intended to do, and I loved my job. Um, I worked for a photo essay book publisher, so it wasn't really, you know, my exact genre that I loved, but I learned a lot there, and um, and I figured that I would just continue to do that. But when I had the accident, I I was in a lot of pain, and I couldn't I couldn't really manage it. I mean, they had me on a lot of drugs, and you know, but a lot of stuff was happening because we kept having to go back and redo surgeries that hadn't worked, and there were like six surgeries total. Jeez. And I was in bed for quite a long time and and when I was in bed somebody sent me I think my mom sent me um a bunch of silk ribbon to do silk ribbon embroidery in a like a little book and <clears throat> I had always loved embroidering pillowcases I would find old pillowcases like when I was in high school before anybody was looking for that now I, I swear if I tried to find one I wouldn't be able to but <laughs> right at the time for some reason I always had these printed vintage pillowcases around and um i i always had one that i was working on and and um so after my accident i kind of pulled out some of my embroidery stuff that you know previous to the bed rest i hadn't ever felt justified in doing because it takes a lot of time and you know you just don't have that much time in a regular life to sit around doing stuff like that and suddenly i had nothing but time and I started embroidering, and um, strangely enough, it it worked for me as the best pain management technique I could have. I mean, I had no idea that that's what it was going to do, but it turned out that, you know, at some point I wouldn't have been able to have a conversation unless I was embroidering because it it hurt too much. So while I was embroidering, I would kind of wake up and and. I would, you know, do what I had to do to kind of get ready for the day, and I would immediately pick up my stuff and start embroidering because it, like, tapped into some kind of physiological uh, place in my brain that mitigated that pain in a, in a really, in a physical way for me. I've since heard that, you know, a lot of people start doing handwork as a way to uh, sort of reroute those pain receptors um, and turn them off or whatever through either the concentration or I'm not sure what's going on, but for me it, it really worked better than, you know, anything else. Do you, do you think it also gave you kind of a sense of empowerment when you're, I mean, you're going through this, you know, awful, you know, surgeries and bed rest and feeling like you're not able to do the things you normally do, I mean, but you're kind of this was something you're in control of, you're creating something. Do you think empowerment played a role at all in that or...? Um, I mean, in retrospect, I suppose, at the time, I think I was just terrified. I was incredibly sad. Um, you know, I was, I, things were very simple in a way. And I think the embroidery was just, it was, it was so simple for me to do. And I felt like, you know, there was a plan to it because, once the transfer got put down, you know, you just didn't really have to think too hard about mm -hmm. 
about what had to happen, and, and it still feels that way to me. I mean, there's something so essential about embroidery because it feels like a coloring book or something. You know, you have this outline, and you're just kind of you're just kind of getting with the program somehow. And and I think that you know, part of it was just the sort of little imaginary, beautiful world that I was creating with the ribbons. I would you know make all these fantastic little flower gardens out of ribbon and. It was definitely an escape and an attempt to, yeah, put some things together that were beautiful instead of, you know, horrible. (laughs) The way that regular life, you know, every time I kind of looked up from the embroidery, I was reminded that, you know, things were pretty awful. So, um, yeah, it really got me through. You were able to, during that time, you did your embroidery and then went to work back to your editing job after you recovered enough. How long did you spend when you went back to work before you moved into the next phase of your life with yeah. your own business and creative uh, work? I went back and forth a lot. Like I would, you know, go back to work and then they would tell me that I had to have another surgery and then I would go back home and I would be in bed again and all that stuff. I started walking um, almost a year after the accident. And it was about a year after that. In the meantime, my dad had been diagnosed with cancer and and then we were kind of dealing with that. Jeez, all at one time. Yeah, all at one time. Um, and around 2000, he died on my birthday of 2000. Oh, jeez. And I think at that time, too, we, like, sort of, they declared me medically stable, and, you know, which basically means you're kind of as good as you're going to get, you know. Like, there's there's nothing more we can do unless there's, you know, some kind of serious problem. But, right. Um. So it was around the beginning of 2000 that, you know, things sort of like we kind of, we bought a new house and we kind of entered into a different place in our lives where things were, you know, a little more straightforward than they had been. Um, And when we bought the house, it had a painting studio. The previous owner had built an addition because he was a painter. And when I saw the studio, we bought the house like right away. I was so not into the whole house hunting thing. And uh, as soon as I saw the studio, I thought, well, I'm just going to do this because I didn't feel at that time that I had the concentration that it took to be the kind of editor that I had been or the kind of editor that I would have wanted to be. I had this feeling that I had, against my will, lost so many things. And I, and I, and I knew that if you know, I was going to get back into control, in control of my life. I needed to, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna take charge of something. And I felt like I wanted to do for my job what I really, really wanted to do. I had thought that I really liked being an editor, but, but it turned out when I really kind of considered everything, you know, there was probably something else that I, that I felt like I could do well. So when we saw the studio and I had that feeling, um, I think I quit my job pretty shortly after that and decided to give the embroidery thing a go full-time. Because, of course, you know, just like it happens with everybody else, everybody was coming over and going, oh, that's so beautiful. Can Mm -hmm. you make something like that for me? (laughs) Or, you know, they were kind of commissioning me to do different things. And I thought, oh, heck, I'll give this a try. Because my parents had always been really entrepreneurial and had a gajillion little businesses that they were always starting and, you know, running mail-order ads for this and that. And, and I had done that, too, as a, as a kid. So, you know, having my own deal wasn't, 
it wasn't as foreign to me as it might have been to some other people because it was kind of the family way. <laughs> right. You know. Right. And you didn't have overhead because it was just, it was your house. The studio was already there. Yeah. And originally I did um, commission embroidery projects. I This was in 2000 and websites were kind of like not, I mean, they were just sort of starting to happen. And um, I I met a couple of of local fashion designers. Um, they both own pretty successful stores here in Portland now. One is Kara Larson, um, who designs a line called Caroline and owns a store called Tumbleweed. And then one is Lynn Madoff, and she owns a beautiful store called Lena Madoy of, of her own um, original clothes. And I met both of them around the same time, and they both sort of commissioned me to embroider different parts of their collections and that was how I started kind of selling selling that work regularly and then we kind of would set up little trunk shows um, where I would be introduced to the people on their mailing lists at those kinds of events and at the trunk shows it became apparent that I would need like you know people I thought it would be kind of a cool idea to present these designs and then have people commission you know monograms and designs on sheets or whatever but it turned out that they kept sort of choosing exactly what was there already like it occurred to me pretty early on that people actually just wanted to buy something (laughs) (laughs) they didn't really want to get um get into the choosing stuff aspect of it um and so I, I and, and then it and then it turned out that when they did, I, I sort of found that my personality didn't lend itself to being to collaborating in that way because inevitably what would happen was they would choose something that I thought that I didn't like. Right, and then it's really hard to <laughs> and I'd wind up doing it, and you know, and I'd think, oh God, this is too much work to have it be, you know, something that isn't appealing to me. So, so it quickly morphed into, um, you know, a little tiny product line of embroidered. Uh, do peony silk sachets and um, embroidered applique photo albums, and uh, I got I got a sales rep, and she started, you know, sort of selling them to little boutiques around the Northwest. Um, so, how many hours a day were you spending um, working in your studio to 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 make all these items? You know, it was really feast or famine. It was like. If there was something going on, like a show that I was preparing for, or, you know, I actually had a few orders, um, I didn't get a whole ton of orders because the stuff at the end of the day was still pretty expensive, even the wholesale price, which I felt was, you know, extremely cheap for the amount of work that actually went into everything. Um, it was still, you know, the stuff was still retailing. Like, I think the, the photo albums were retailing for over $90 a piece, and so... I would either have absolutely nothing going on, so I was sort of trying to um, think of new products or just figure out how to make it work in the first place. And then when I did get orders, um, I would feel like I was just killing myself trying to get the stuff done, and the checks that I got back didn't seem worth it at all. Like, I couldn't couldn't figure out how I was going to make that work because um, it was either too much time for too little money or you know, not not enough not enough orders in general. So the wholesale part of of my product line didn't last all too long for me. I um, kind of pulled out of that maybe after a year. 
I, I figured that I better use the skills that I, that I had brought to the business. So I uh, knew that I needed to sell direct to my customers so that the price was lower for them and it was more for me. And I kind of figured out that I would need to get some national publicity for the stuff if I really wanted to get it out there and kind of appeal to a large number of people in hopes of getting, you know, even a small percentage of them to buy the thing. And so how did you go about doing that? So I went to the library, got a bunch of books about what a press kit is and how to write a press release and, um, you know, how to target editors and how to try to get your stuff on the product pages of magazines. And it's kind of hard to figure out how to do that. Um, But what I decided to do was pick my favorite magazine, the one that I thought would be the most appropriate or the one that I could see, you know, this, this little product in, in those kind of first opening pages where they talk about, you know, different things that they like and where to buy them. And so I put together a box of, you know, what I thought was my absolute best stuff, and I, I hammered together a press kit as best I could. And what wound up happening, I think, was pretty lucky. Um, I've sent out lots and lots of things, and, you know, I get completely blown off, and I never hear anything back, and I think that's pretty typical. But in this particular case, um, the editor called me right away at Country Living Magazine, and... Um, I mean, she called, like, within, because I was tracking the UPS package. You know, uh, see when would get it. I would totally do that. <laughs> yeah, and I saw, you know, that it had been signed for, and, you know, the phone probably rang half an hour later. And oh, my goodness. I and was that was the first fax first you sent out? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that was really exciting. And, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, editors really are looking for, you know, it's it's when you're new, when you're kind of, like, nobody's ever heard of you before, and all of a sudden they get this box filled with pretty things. And, and um, you know, I, I mean, I think that a lot of people think there's some kind of mystery to um, getting publicity and stuff. But I think that in some ways it is mysterious because it has to do with the timing at the magazine and kind of where they're at and what they've already included or what what they're going to include that you don't even know about because the stuff happens like six months in advance or whatever and sometimes a year in advance. So, you know, they could have something just like your thing already slated to be included, you know, a couple months from now and and that might be a reason why they're not including you or whatever. I mean, you just don't know. So a lot of it has to do with just being in the right place at the right time. Um, and and it, it, I mean, in that case, it might have just been total luck that it was the appropriate product for what colors they were looking, you know, I don't know. But um, but that was nice. So they put those my little photo albums on their product pages, I think it was in the spring of 2003. And, in the, it, it, you know, before that happened, I knew that was going to happen for several months before it actually came out. So um, I went to work like a little bunny trying to build a website, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew that, you know, once that magazine came out, they print your name and telephone number with a pretty picture of your staff and your website address, and, you know, everything changes when that happens, and, and it did change. I mean, I had 
you know, this was also, you know, maybe it was earlier than that because it was, it actually started happening right before the war started in Iraq and um, the phone was just ringing off the hook like crazy and people were going to the website like crazy and when the war started, the phone did not ring again. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was like the day before, you know, it was still, you know, and I was going crazy because I was doing everything myself and trying to um, stay on top of answering the phone and taking the orders and wrapping everything up and packing it and shipping it. And, you know, I've never really had any help with that um, except for my husband when, when he's not working or whatever. He'll do PO runs for me and stuff. But, but yeah, then the war started that, that next day. This was maybe like a month or six weeks after the magazine came out. And it, it stopped ringing. Like there was just total silence and it never really... It, it started ringing again a little bit after that, but nothing like it had done the day before and the weeks previous to that. Wow. Um, which in some ways was kind of okay because I was, it, it was rather exhausting. It can be very overwhelming to have a product or to get that kind of exposure. Um, you do what you can to prepare for it. You, of course, want anyone who comes to your little company to think that it's a cinch, you know. <laughs> right. Um, they have expectations, especially now, I think, because online shopping is so much more popular. I mean, it, it was still kind of like people were iffy about it. You know, I didn't even have e-commerce on the site. They actually had to go to the site, pick stuff out, call me to place the order, and I would take credit card numbers over the phone. You know, I didn't even really know how to set up PayPal buttons or, you know, let alone, like, have them place the orders directly through the site with a credit card. I, I, I didn't know how to do any of that. Um, but, you know, they have certain expectations when they come that, you know, you're going to get it out right away and you're going to have everything available. You know, you, you, you sort of have to meet the expectations that people shop with at the mall or at Target or at J. Crew. You know, you, I think now handmade, retailers are a little more common and people kind of understand what goes into it. Um, they're more patient and they're willing to kind of wait a little bit. Um, but at that time, I know that I really felt the pressure to kind of live up to, um, you know, all the, all the sort of regular corporate expectations that people Which have about nearly shopping. impossible when you're, you know, generating, you know, basically creating it from scratch, you know. Um, and at the time when you first started, were you just doing the embroidery? Because I know you've expanded things out um, now. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think, let's see. Um, when I first started, I was doing the embroidered sachets and the photo albums. And then I think by the time that publicity, that first publicity came along, I might have also been doing handbags. Um, and then, and maybe like flower pins or something like that. And the way that the collection has kind of evolved is, has everything to do with my capricious nature, you know? <laughs> um, in order to make things by hand, 
there has to be something in it for the maker. And usually what that thing is 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 sort of excitement about how it's going to turn out. And it's like the old thing about, you know, knitting the second sock. It's like people have a lot, like a lot of knitters have, you know, one sock. Finished, right, and right. They can't get themselves <laughs> to get through the second one. And part of it is just that the excitement um, that you have when you're making something and you're not quite sure if your idea is going to work, um, if that excitement motivates you to complete it. And once you know, you know, <laughs> exactly what it's going to look like because it's going to pretty much look like the other 12 that you just made, um, you know, you lose a little, you lose a little spark. And when that happens to me, it is sheer drudgery. Um, so I, that was the other thing that I found it just impossible about wholesale. Uh, in order to really make any money, you know, you have, you can't be changing your products every five minutes. Right. Because that would involve, you know, sort of changing all your marketing collateral and all your line sheets and, you know, all the stuff that the reps have. It's so hard to keep the reps in materials to begin with that, you know, it's it's not practical <laughs> <laughs> to be just sort of like tossing off these, you know, extremely individual one-of-a-kind pieces every, you know, couple of minutes. So, but for me, um, you know, that's what I like about making everything myself and that's the joy that I take out of it and that's what motivates me to complete anything in the first place. So, um, so yeah, I change the products a lot and once things, you know, what, what usually happens is I'll have this blitz of energy and, and creativity and, and motivation and I'll make like, you know, a little, a bunch of them. I'll photograph them, I'll throw them up there, and um, they'll sell or, or whatever, and then, you know, people will try to come back and get more, and those things just won't exist anymore because although I could do them if I, you know, it would probably be smart to do them since people still want them. <laughs> it's just my, my, my personality makes it such a pain. I mean, I really fight, I struggle against that because it's not practical to not want to do it again, you know, <laughs> when you spent so much time just trying to get people to pay attention to it in the first place, and then right. I'm like, ah, I'm over it. Um, so that's something I really fight with myself, to not to not be over something faster than everybody else is over it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Right, because you want to be able to sell some more of them. Yeah, it yeah. would be nice to, you know, make a living. Too. Right. <laughs> well, can you talk a little bit about some of the things you're into right now? I know because you have some lovely things on your website. Oh, and gosh, I feel embarrassed. I, the, the website seems so so empty and, and rather decimated to me. Well, I did um, notice there are a lot of things that are sold out on the website, but they're still lovely. Thank the you. Photos are lovely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, let's see, this spring, birds have been like super, these Super crazy bird lovers just kind of clean me out. As soon as the birds go up there, you know, they all fly away immediately. So, um, yeah, but I, I noticed these, um, bird, you call them birdie cagelets. Uh huh. And, and what was the inspiration for that? Because it's a wire, basically the likeness of a, a bird cage out of wire. Yeah. You're... You know, right at the beginning of the spring, I was, I, I think I opened the front curtains one day and I saw just a, a jillion little birds on the lawn. And, you know, they do that every once in a while. Like, there's something going on, and they all kind of swoop in, and they have this little feeding frenzy, and then they, they're gone, like, a minute later. And then it happened one morning, and um, 
it was just so sweet to me, and it was such a nice sign of spring. And I just got the idea to uh, build those little wire cages. And, and, you know, I have a lot of supplies. I have a lot of vintage notions. I have all this really great stuff, and I'm never quite sure exactly how to make use of all the stuff that I do have. So I thought about, you know, how the birds kind of put their little nests together, and they... They pick up all these little parts and pieces from other things mm-hmm. and they incorporate it into their little nest. And so I wanted the cagelet to feel like a nest. And, and that's kind of why I put the bird on the outside because, you know, the cage is, the cage is only nominally a cage, <laughs> you know. Because yeah. we don't really like bird, birds in cages. We like, we like the way they look and, and the idea behind them. So, um, I don't know, you know, they just, I just think of things and then, I do them, and I'm always sort of surprised that, you know, or if they resonate with people. But generally, I, I, um, my ideas always come from what I think would be fun or interesting or pretty to make. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that, that sometimes they appeal to other people too. But uh, I have to say I don't think too much about, you know, what people might like. Like occasionally, actually quite often, people will come into the shop and they'll, want me to do something that's black. Oh, this happens all the time, actually. And um, I almost never do things that are black. I don't really like black myself, and but it's a very popular color. You know, it would make sense, I think, to do some black handbags and stuff, but it's, again, you know, it just doesn't doesn't quite jive with, with what I want to do. So you try to meet, you try to meet people halfway sometimes, but more and more... Um, as the collection expands and kind of turns into, you know, paper mache birds is another thing that, you know, it's, it's not a practical thing. It's just something that, that, um, I, uh, that I wanted actually for my own, you know, bedroom dresser. Um, so I, I kind of try to, I try to listen to what people are interested in and try to pay attention to, you know, the things that they like, but mostly I just go back and do stuff that I like and hope that, you know, maybe somebody else will like it too. Well, I think it comes through in your work. I just, I'm looking at your website as we speak here and I see the paper mache birds on here. And the thing that's really cool about what you're doing is that you, you've learned because you already tried the whole wholesale thing and realized this is not working for me. This is too much. And you're kind of felt like it's, I got the impression that you're feeling like you were doing mass production and not the happiness was compromised a little mm-hmm. bit. And, and I think it's wonderful that you've learned to just do what you love and then people can, you know, if they want something black, then, well, maybe they can buy it someplace else, but you're going to do some stuff that you love and it comes through so well in what you're creating because it's made with your passion and you're, you're enjoying it. And I think that people like to buy things that are made with, with love and joy and, and not something that someone, you know, slapped together at 3 a.m., bleary-eyed, it's black and it's awful, <laughs> you don't like it, you know. So it kind of comes with this friendly kind of karma attached to it, you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah I hadn't really thought about it that way. But, um, yeah, I think unconsciously I, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah, I don't want my stuff to feel like I didn't love it while I was putting it together. And no, since- that would be horrible to me. And, you know... Part of the thing about selling handmade things, I think everybody who makes stuff has had the experience of, of making gifts for people and kind of having them fall flat to a certain extent. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's something about selling things that I am 
so okay with because I feel like, you know, the people who buy them, they really want them. Right, exactly. <laughs> I feel, you know, like deep down, I, I sort of always feel like every little thing that I make is a gift. You know, I, I go into it with that sort of um, intention, you know, that I'm, that I'm, I, I know that these things live all over the world and, and I know just through the blog and through getting to know my customers, who the people are that are getting them. And, and so I'm always thinking about them when I'm making the stuff. And the fact that they're, you know, sort of willing to, to part with some dough to have <laughs> is kind of, you know, that's sort of the ultimate compliment. Because, and, and, and it's nice to feel like, you know, the person who's getting it actually really wants it enough to pay for it. Right, instead of <laughs> because, just something yeah, you make. Giving and then... people presents and kind of having them be wrong or not oh. with it, you know, whatever. I mean, <laughs> right. Part of the part of the experience is the person's response um, to the thing. I have to say that that's a big part of it for me, um, and it makes me feel great when I know that you know that they're being received with as much um, uh, joy as I had when I was making it. So, is it sometimes because you love the things you make so much? Is it sometimes difficult to box them up and send them off, even if someone's paying you? Because do you ever feel like, wow, this turned out really great? This is hard for me to part with. You know, it's weird. I really don't. I um, <clears throat> I was saying on the blog a while ago that it's, it's so horrible that I don't have, I absolutely don't have a sample of everything that I've made. I mean, not at all. I probably have like three or four things, honestly, out of the hundreds that I've sold. When I do go to make something for myself, it's, it's, um, it's always a bad idea because, of course, I want it to be like, you know, the best bird, the cutest bird ever. Uh-oh, there's the studio phone. Um, and that means that I can't decide how to do that. Um, so I wind up with, like, very little of what I actually make because I never set out, I very rarely set out to make myself something. And if the thing is really good, I'm not really in a financial position to keep it, you know? <laughs> So like yeah, well, this, this one's going to sell, so I have to put it out there because oh my god, I need thirty eight dollars or you know whatever it is. Like so yeah, no, I mean, I I um I have pictures. I mean now that I'm enjoying taking pictures of things a little bit more than than ever before, um, you know I really like having the pictures of stuff, and um, I'm happy to let it go because it's kind of less for me to take care of. I mean, I have kept some, like, I don't have a cagelet for myself, which I just think is so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But I really have to, like, remember and force myself to, like, kind of keep these things because, you know, as I said before, it's like five minutes from now, I'm not going to ever want to make another one of these things again, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So while you're in the mood for now, I'll probably be really, really excited that I kept it. But yeah. You know, I don't think I'm I'm dumb that way. I don't I don't do the things that I should. So, it, what is your favorite thing to make? Do you have a favorite? Oh, uh, let's see. I like making handbags because you know you just don't you don't have to be skinny to carry one, and I don't know. They're <laughs> right. like these great little accessories that everyone can have, you know, and and um, they're simple enough that the you know, the format of them isn't the challenging part. Like, you can, you, I don't have to think about making them anymore, so that that frees me up to just sort of think about fabric and color and and decoration and all of that kind of stuff. So I still, I still do love making handbags. 
I love making stuffed animals. I love making animals, um, whether they're stuffed or paper mache or whatever it is, because it's still so appealing to me how they have these little personalities that come through. No matter what you try to do, if you try to make one happy or you try to make one nervous or whatever it is, it's like, I don't know, it just, they, they, they sort of resist that. Even a sock puppy, you know, it sort of resists that and its little personality comes through and sort of tells you what it's going to be. And I love how these, you know, socks or clay or paper mache or whatever it is, um, gets imbued with that sort of weird, stuffy animation um, and personality. So I'm always very interested in in making little animals because I like to see who they're going to be. Well, and that's a fun surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And do you consider yourself an artist or a crafter? Um, a crafter. I don't, I don't really, I mean, I've read that, I've read about this before and the distinction between them. I can't say that I, that I know the difference enough to, you know, be really on one side or the other, but um, I'm assuming that what I do is just crafts. Um, craft to me implies a sort of practical utilitarian aspect. I mean, I have always been drawn toward um, art that has a very domestic utilitarian function. So I'm not good at sort of like doing a piece of embroidery and then and then getting it framed. You know, um, I'd much rather embroider a pillowcase or a tea towel or something that I was going to use every day. Or something else. Yeah. yeah. And how do people respond to your work? Because it sounds like you, you've gotten, you know, you've gotten some publicity, national publicity, and you, your work is out there. People know of you. Heck, you were requested, you know. <laughs> people are so like, sweet. yeah, I don't people, know who could have done that, yeah, but people, that's awfully flattering. Thank people, you. you know, and it came up more than once. A lot of, it's funny because a lot of the people, I have like a list a mile long of people that I want to interview. And, um, like, I, instead of, putting a mass list out, I mean, emails out to every single person because then I know either no one would respond or they'd all respond at once, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um, it, it was really interesting to me that people are, I mean, and I have looked at your site, um, you know, throughout the, you know, your duration too is you've had this presence, this very lovely presence on the Internet, and it's very great to go and, and to see the great work that you're doing. And, and I'm just curious about what people tell you about the things they order or if they, you know, read your blog and send you responses. What types of things are people saying? Oh, that's so sweet. Um, gosh, I don't know. You know, it's, I, I think for a long time, I mean, my reputation in my own personal world has always been one of like just sort of weird old Alicia doing something strange. Um, <laughs> weird old Alicia. Oh, yeah. Why do you, you say know, old? Like, because you're doing things that people considered. Why do you, why do you say old? I'm yeah, because like, you know, if you're like in college and, and and everybody's sort of like getting ready to go out and and uh, see a band, and and then Alicia's sitting there like wearing a mini skirt, embroidering a a, a pillowcase. You know that's just weird. <laughs> well, I crocheted during my history of rock and roll class in college. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it didn't go unremarked on. Let's just say that. Yeah. And, um, and so, and you know, even with my my like my group of girlfriends from high school, let's just say. Um, I didn't, I, I never knew anybody who liked to do the things that I liked to do. And that was kind of okay with me. I mean, I did have a crafty family. 
Um, my mom had always done, you know, lots of things that I like to do too. Um, but it just didn't, I didn't really care. I have to say that when the, you know, the genesis of my business and the kind of evolution of it has coincided with a larger sort of national obsession and, and, um, you know, revisitation of, of craft in general. And, um, that, I, I love that. I mean, I think that that in some ways was, um, mostly a coincidence because the way that I kind of got started, obviously I was so isolated. It was such a personal thing after my accident. You know, I, I couldn't, I had no idea what was going on in the outside world and couldn't have cared less. Um, <clears throat> but when I kind of came out and, and saw that things were, you know, the same sorts of things were happening, um, in a larger sort of collective way, uh, I was very excited <laughs> because well, I, you know, it was fun to sort of have people to share that with. And, and certainly the internet, I think, has, um, you know, connected people who would never have found each other, um, you know, among their, among their real life social circle or on their block or in their town or whatever. I think, you know, mostly craft people are people who kind of, like I, I could sit all day and do something without talking to a single person and I would be completely okay with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, me too. I'm not like particularly hypersocial and I'm very, very much of a homebody. And, and so having a way to express myself on the internet um, through the website or, you know, through the blog, uh, in some ways it's been just perfect for me because it doesn't require any physical exertion on my part. You know, I get really tired, um, especially, you know, with having a bad foot and stuff. It doesn't allow me to physically do a lot of the stuff that I want to do. So um, in that way, you know, the 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 explosion of popularity of crafts in general and just the way that the internet has uh, grown by leaps and bounds, those two things together have been really wonderful. Um, for me personally, I feel like it's just a, it's a great medium for me. Um, and it suits, it suits my natural sort of tendencies. Um, so to get back to your question, I think um, the response that people have had is just, you know, it's been really fantastic to, um, you know, feel all that love because essentially you're home kind of working alone every day. You know, before, before that, you know, you sort of like be putting stuff out there and nobody would care. Right, and right. You're working alone, you know, you miss the camaraderie of having coworkers and, you know, it, there's a lot of it that can be kind of lonely. Right, right. Um, yeah, you can't so, look to the person next to you and say, hey, do you want to go to lunch? Because totally. there's nobody yeah, there. And I right. have definitely suffered for that. I have really right. missed that. Um, but I have to say, like, even just through the blog and um, having the, you know, making those connections with people and and feeling like they just kind of um, get what you're doing has just been really, really fun. I can't say enough good things about it. It's been just a great experience, especially the past, you know, like, I think I started the blog last fall. I had no idea what a blog even was. I mean, no clue. Um, but now, of course, I think everyone should have one because it's so much fun. And <laughs> people ask me how I find time to do that. And um, Honestly, it does take kind of a lot of time, but 
It is the most fun thing that I do. It's so easy for me. I don't know why. It just, uh, I think that it, it, you know, probably my, my past endeavors, you know, as a writer and right. as somebody who, you know, used to work, um, at putting pages together in that way. You know, it kind of taps into all those things that I just sort of naturally, um, that appeal to me, uh, that sense of kind of clean design and organizing life, um, Short stories are like that too. You know, you just kind of you 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 try to make a little bit of sense out of some stuff. You know, and uh, there's something about that activity that really appeals to me, and that's kind of how the website and the blog feel. So it's very satisfying. Well, I'm sure that your 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 fans and customers like that too, because it really kind of personalizes. They feel like they know the woman who's making these things. That they choose to buy and put in their home or give away as a gift, and it kind of makes it seem, you know, kind of that connection that is, there's a connection there that maybe wouldn't be there if you just walk into a store, yeah, you know, and buy something that's made from, you know, you have no idea, you don't know anything about the person. It really is interesting, I think, for people to know the story of the person behind, you know, who's who's making these things, so it's thank really you. cool. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And I want to talk about, too, you're, you have, you know, you've got your one-woman show with your own line of, of items that you make in your house, um, in your home studio. But um, let's talk about how you also expanded your business uh, with a collaboration in 2003. Okay. Um, one of my wholesale customers, Carmen Bailey, um, had gone up to the Seattle gift market, and she had just opened a little boutique called Ella, which was really an extension of her wedding planning business. Um, the office space that she had found was actually kind of a, a little retail space. It was tucked into another shop. It was bigger than she needed um, as just an office or a place to meet with clients. So she started carrying some, uh, like, sort of vaguely bridal-related items on consignment. And when she opened the boutique, she decided to go up to the Seattle Gift Center and look around and see... Um, what she liked, and, and the way she tells it was like, you know, the only thing that she really liked and thought would be appropriate for the aesthetic that she was sort of going for was um, were my photo album. So whenever anybody local ordered stuff um, when I was doing wholesale, I would go out and deliver it myself so I could meet them and, um, you know, see the place they were going to live in and stuff like that. So it turned out her shop was only a few blocks away from my house, and we met, and I loved her space so much. It was so charming and sweet, and I never forgot it. And we stayed in touch. I wrote her website for her, um, and we'd have little breakfast meetings, you know, every couple of months. But it wasn't until, you know, maybe a year, year and a half, um, after her wedding planning business really started taking off, she found herself working like, you know, all week in the store and then on the weekends doing people's weddings. So she was kind of looking for a partner, someone who wanted to come in and share the space, share the rent, share the time. And she asked me if I wanted to join her. And at first, um, I wasn't going to do it at all. I mean, it just had not occurred to me to have a retail space at all. But, but then I dreamt about it that night. I dreamt that I had done it because I had told her no immediately. <laughs> And then I dreamt, and I woke up the next morning, I said to my husband, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I dreamt that I had joined Carmen in the shop. And he said, wow, maybe you should give her a call. And so I gave her a call, and I said, you know, maybe I will do that. That sounds like 
it might work out. And so um, in the fall of 2003, I kind of moved into her little shop, and we kind of renamed it Ella Posey because her business was called Ella and mine was called Posey, and it was um, kind of split geographically down the middle, and that is to say, you know, the place is only probably 10 feet by 10 feet square. It was very tiny, um, and she kind of kept her things on one side, and I kind of had only posy things on the other side, and um, we split the rent and split the time that, you know, we each hung out there, and um, I think if you had walked into that shop, you wouldn't have known that it was sort of owned by two separate people who had still two very separate independent businesses. Um, we luckily kind of agreed on everything. You know, we sort of went into the space and decorated it, and we had no conflicts about uh, where we were going aesthetically or, um, you know, what we thought the the shop should be. And that was very convenient. Another thing about it, I mean, we weren't great friends to begin with. You know, we still have mostly a, a business relationship, and that makes it really easy because we don't, um, I don't know, we didn't have any, we didn't have a history <laughs> that we brought to the situation. And, and um, you know, we still mostly agree on, on everything, and our efforts to market our store have been of the very, very grassroots-ish variety. You know, we still operate on a very small budget, if anything. Um, we rely on word of mouth and sort of our own efforts to publicize our store. The local press has been really good to us, although um, we, you know, do a mailing list and um, we have a pretty loyal, though very small following. We could definitely... Um, you know, use more traffic in our new location. We moved about a year ago. Uh, we were originally in a in a furniture store, and the furniture store moved from its original location to another location, and uh, we were kind of not sure what we were going to do. We didn't want to be in that location by ourselves, the old one. Mm-hmm. And the owner of the furniture store said, well, there's this little sort of, storage room in the back of our new store and maybe you girls could come take a look at it because you know if anybody could make it look cute it's probably you guys (laughs) and so we went back there and we looked at it and um it was just dreadful you know it's like I mean this is such a cliched story but it really was like you know it had a dirt floor and kind of one bare light bulb and no windows (laughs) and still has a rock wall and the rock wall is as rustic as it looks like it is you know rocks fall out of it all the time and ants climb out of it all the time (laughs) (laughs) but you know for us with our sort of um you know do-it-yourself kind of elbow greasy um intentions we kind of you know we well they they installed lighting for us and we picked out some really old very cool kind of um, window, I don't know what they're called, the kind of windows that you push open. They installed them in the wall because it's an interior space, so you have to walk all the way through another store to get to our store. I that see. has been no small challenge. I mean, that has been extremely challenging because uh, people are just so confused by... Like where they are going. Yeah. Right. That was a challenge I did not anticipate. I didn't know that it was going to be... Um, quite as confusing as it turns out. 
I mean, it's not confusing to me. <laughs> right, because you can find your store. You know where you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems very confusing for, for some people. And, you know, we suffer from just not having our own entrance the way that we did before. But I are you think. saving a lot on rent, though? Because you know, and that's the thing. Our rent is... Um, is it about the same as what it would be if you had a storefront? or? Oh, my God, no. It's, okay. It's a fraction of yeah, that. Yeah, I guess thing, that's the you know? trade-off. Yeah, we try to, we try to, you know, people kind of come into the store and our feelings get a little bit hurt sometimes because they'll say, oh, I didn't even know you were back here. You guys need to move to this neighborhood or you need to, you know, have a store. And, and Isn't it nice to have that advice? You know, do they buy something <laughs> yeah, no, when they come not. in to give you this advice? <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's hard because it's, it's almost like, I, I mean, I think people are just trying to be helpful and, right, right. you know, but of course the reality is of, like, well, we know that, you know. <laughs> well, and but, I think it's um, not like you're just calling up a, a, you know, calling a supplier and saying, hey, can you ship me 12 of those things? Because it's not, is everything in there handmade? Not everything, but a lot of things. Yeah, because yeah. you're still putting your stuff. Are you selling your yes. stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is, and we we do the very best with what we have. And the the, the reason that we're able to have a shop at all is because our rent is, is what it is, you know. We wouldn't be able to afford to pay two thousand or more dollars um, per month the way that we would have to if we moved to, you know, a bigger location. And because you know, both Carmen and I have kind of cobbled together several different ways of making it all work. Um, you know, the store is not the only thing that we do, and so we still feel like. It's a great addition to our city, and it is a beautiful, very unique little spot um, that, you know, we're overjoyed when people discover it, and they're sort of happy that it's there, and, and um, you know, we feel like it's, um, it's just, one, you know, we really do feel like it's one of those things that makes Portland, you know, sort of what it is, and that it's a place of... of um, Creative people who can still find venues to uh, do these kinds of things. You know, I mean, I don't think we could have a little space in San Francisco. I mean, I just there are places like this in Portland that are still sort of around, and and it just um, is a matter of kind of finding them and putting a lot of work into making them happen. So, you know, the other side of that is like you have to work extra, extra, extra hard to get people to come over and see it. <laughs> So is it hard for you to still have time to make the items for for your own personal business that you're trying to sell? It's really hard. Because how much time do you spend in the store now just trying to manage things there? I spend two to three days a week there. Um, And is it just you and Carmen, or do you have mm -hmm. help? It's just the two of you. It's just the two of us. We are interviewing interns right now for the summer. Um, It's been really hard for me to keep interns. I think people have a romantic idea of what, you know, maybe Posey is or what um, what the reality of kind of doing all of this is. I really do. I, Of course, you know, there are so many great things about it, and I wouldn't change it, and I love it, but it's my thing. Right, you know? right. And um, when, you know, I've had a lot of people come and absolutely beg me to let them work for me, you know, <laughs> I say, sure, <laughs> and then they come over and they kind of find out that we spend, you know, like entire days doing nothing but wrapping stuff and 
um, you know, running around buying boxes and tape and then boxing everything and taping it together and then standing in line at the PA. I mean, there is so much about it that is just so incredibly unromantic, I can't even tell you, you know? So people and, uh, are a little crushed when they realize that it's not just creative artistic stuff going oh, on 24 <laughs> Yeah, I mean, half of them just never even come back, you know? They're just like, you've got to be kidding me, lady. And I'm like, dude, this is what it's like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so very little of it is um, is actually like... I mean, I won't say fun, but is, is you know, super. I mean, let's just put it this way. You have to put more creative energy into sort of making it all work than you do into, you know, designing cute new products or whatever Well, that's whatever kind of the fun, the fun and easy part. The, yeah. You know, the other stuff is the stuff that has to get done because you have to mail it. You have to price it. You know, you have yeah, to you photograph it. Yeah, you get it out there in the first place, you know. And, you know, let me tell you, Photoshopping, like, 40 pictures... <laughs> to put them on the website for, you know, I mean, a lot of it is just, um, you know, the same old, the same old drudgery type of stuff you'd have to do with any job. Right. You know, and, and part of it is challenging because, I mean, what I find very challenging is that you never ever have a day where somebody's just telling you what to do. Like, you not only have to do it, you have to figure out what it is in the first place. And sometimes, you know, that's just like, oh, my God. I mean, it's just the idea of trying to not only keep it all going but figure out where it's going sort of ultimately, you know, is is just exhausting. But even on your most exhausting day when no one's telling you what to do and you got to figure out what to do next, are you still glad that no one's telling you what to do? I guess so. I mean, yeah. I stopped for one second and actually got some perspective and, you know, stopped, like, complaining or, you know, whatever. Yes, of course, you know, I I think, uh, and, you know, the hubby is very good for kind of putting everything back into perspective, and he sees it in a very holistic way, and he's always encouraged me to, um, you know, when things aren't working or I've done things that, you know, haven't gone over very well or, you know, whatever it might be, and I'm sort of stomping around going, that's it, I'm done, you know. <laughs> He's like, okay, get some sleep, you know, calm down, have a cup of coffee, let's, you know. Isn't it great to have people like that in your life? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to do any of this without him because, I mean, not only the fact that he, of course, has a real job and the real paycheck and the real health insurance and all of that stuff, you know, he's incredibly encouraging and um, I think I lose perspective quite often, Um I get really, you know, I have to get kind of caught up in the details. I'm a really detail-oriented person to begin with, and I tend to elevate all of the stuff that I have to do up to the very top of the list. So I make no distinction between, like, the big picture and, you know, this one particular order that's really troubling me and it has to get out today. And then he'll say, does it have to get out today? And I'll say, well, yes. And he'll say, well, when did it come in? And I'll say, well, yesterday. <laughs> and he's like, uh, it doesn't have to get out today. And I'm like, oh. So, yeah, I tend to get really just kind of, um, you know, I like to do everything well. Uh, it's, it, it's not the best personality trait to have. It sounds like it would be. But what winds up happening is that you don't know how to uh, balance things very well. And you can suffer Tremendous burnout from just sort of feeling the pressure of um, having to 
having to make things work um, and be, you know, you're just sort of out there all the time and you just don't want to let anybody down and you want things to um, be a certain way. And the pressure of that when it's, when it's all you, I find it to be a little bit challenging. And did you consider it a risk when you, you know, woke up the next morning after having a dream about being in business with Carmen? Um, did you feel like, okay, I hope this, you know, were you nervous about going into business, like having that extra thing, or has that really just opened the door and allowed your business to really flourish? Yeah, gosh, you ask great questions. Um, you know, I wasn't really nervous at the beginning because the investment was just, there was just no, I hadn't, I hadn't really risked any um, any kind of investment. I was a little bit nervous about having to be somewhere regularly because I had gotten used to kind of having my own schedule. I mean, I'm, I'm so horrible at being where I'm supposed to be at the time that somebody tells me to be there. <laughs> and, um, and that I think in some ways that has been like the major reason why I have really struggled with regular jobs. You know, I, it's, it's very difficult for me to kind of sit still um, and work when when I'm supposed to be doing that if that's not what I feel like I want to be doing. So I'm, I was nervous about, you know, having to be in the shop a couple of days and never having a substitute, never being able to call in sick or anything like that. Yeah, I was nervous about that. When we moved the store, um, that should have made me nervous because the financial investment that that took was, um, exponentially bigger than it was the first time um, when I just moved in with Carmen and I hadn't been buying inventory from other manufacturers to stock the store. When we moved to our new location a year ago, we brought in about 30 different um, product lines, and most of them are things that I've purchased. Carmen and I still buy products independent of each other. In fact, um, you would never know this just by walking in, but it's it's not really a joint venture financially. It's a thing where we split the rent and we split the expenses, but we're each sort of responsible for the product lines that we buy, and we have organized the store sort of by genre. So we have, you know, bath and body in one section, baby in another section, and, you know, birthday stuff in another section. But um, And so the products are kind of all mixed together, but we each... Um, you know, buy our own product lines and we're responsible for them when they don't sell and we take, you know, that financial risk upon ourselves as individuals. So the reality of moving to the new store is like, you know, you've got to kind of fill it up and mm-hmm. and on, in order for it to look good and nice, you need to have a whole ton of stuff. <laughs> and in order to get a whole ton of stuff in there, you have to spend a whole bunch of money. And, you know, you kind of make it back slowly um, and let me just say, have not made it back yet. So, you know, it's like you make a profit and you have to buy more stuff. Right. Like and then you, you, you like make money. That probably means that you sold some stuff. And then, you know, then you need to get more stuff because now the store looks empty, you know? Right. So it's a continuous thing. I'm not sure thing. like what, what, um, you know, a real business person would say about projections and stuff like that. But because we have, you know, sort of, we don't have very fast turnover. We don't have a ton of people walking through the door. I think that we do okay with, you know, the number of people who actually walk through the door versus the number of people who actually buy something. Um, it could always be higher. Um, in fact, we try to impress 
that upon people because, well, we, you know, sort of get frustrated sometimes because they claim to absolutely love our shop and they love that we're there and they come there and they get inspiration and it's like just a wonderful experience for them. Um, but, you know, very, very, very many times they don't buy anything. And um, that's challenging because, you know, we sort of nicely try to try to suggest that unless they they buy, you know, like $5 birthday cards sometimes, um, we aren't going to be able to stay there. Right, right. <laughs> to inspire them or, you know, give them ideas for decorating their little girl's room or whatever it is, you know, it's like, uh, we are fighting the battle along with every other independent retailer. To um, just stay out to, there in business. Yeah, like, you know, get people to understand that unless they want everything to turn into Walmart and Target and every other corporate chain, you know, they, they actually do, at the end of the day, kind of have to put their money where their mouth is and support the little independent businesses, which in my mind is a win-win situation um, completely, but... It is. It's still hard. I mean, we are competing with with everybody else. Absolutely, from online, even online handmade retailers to Old Navy. With your homemade goods, uh, Posy online, um, mm-hmm. are you finding that you're has this been having a, a retail presence? Has that helped you to sell more, or are you still doing most of that? You know, most of your sales are they mostly generated through your website? You know. Most of the posy things that sell um, sell through the website and through the blog. Actually, the the blog has been a huge boon um, because I guess it's because I've kind of talked about the stuff on the blog and I kind of give people an inside view as to how it gets made in the first place. Um, I do feel like they are more interested. Like. I don't know, they're just kind of on board more. When the products finally hit the website, they don't, they haven't stuck around very long. And I, because I know sort of who the blog community is, I can see when the orders come in that they're blog readers. Um, and so a lot of the, a lot of the stuff doesn't kind of make it off of the site. So sometimes people come into the store and they'll expect to, you know, find certain things that they've seen on the blog or on the site or whatever in the store. And, the reality is that stuff is leaving, you know, I'm selling it kind of as fast as I put it on the site, and it's all because of the blog. Wow. Um, so I have to say, right now, for some reason, um, the website is just kind of, uh, it, it's um, kicking the store's butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, and That's I guess not it, to say that we wouldn't love to sell the other product lines that we can. <laughs> <laughs> of course not, but it is interesting because you're you're kind of experiencing the, both worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have a retail presence and they sell some of the items from their store online, but you're you're kind of doing your own side thing plus you know a partnership in retail. So it's really interesting your insight into that because I'm sure there's some listeners who are, have thought about possibly going into business and not sure. And it's not. I mean, from what you're saying, is I mean it's hard work not something you should just do on a whim you know you have to put a lot of effort into it and you've you've done that yeah you know i um i and what i've said for a long time because a lot of people ask me this and honestly i don't know whether anyone else should do this i can only tell you you know what i've done and and what things have been like for me and because my situation i mean seems pretty unusual i mean 
because I got run over by a garbage truck, it changed lots of things. I don't know that I'd be doing any of this if that hadn't happened. I mean, I might be, but I really don't know because that that really life-changing, I mean, everything in our lives changed that day. Um, and, you know, it means that I'm different now from the way that I used to be, and I think about things differently, and... Um, and so I kind of tried to cobble together um, a lifestyle that essentially makes me happy because that's the most important thing to me anymore. Um, I think that when you go through stuff like that and you have, you know, these kind of really radical experiences that make you, you know, very painfully aware of, of um the fleetingness of time and you know your priorities just kind of shift and you realize that you know for me anyway I shouldn't say you because that implies sort of collective understanding and I don't know about anybody but me but for me it meant that I wanted to work with people that I liked I wanted to do what I liked um um I I will not be retiring anytime soon <laughs> I mean it is a labor of love in so many ways it is not a lucrative financial endeavor in any way, but um, I feel like I get paid in, in joy and happiness, so I'm okay with that. And I do want to have a successful business. I mean, I have to. I I need um, I need to be able to support myself. I'm confident that you know if you sort of keep putting really good work out into the world, um, you can and and you work hard to sort of figure out how to make it work. Um, you know, you will. I don't know whether that's right or not, but I sort of have that faith um, that drives me. But but generally, you know, my intention is to sort of have a good day, and I try to kind of put individual days together as best I can. Um, and so that's, that's sort of, I don't know. Well, no, that's wonderful. I didn't want to interrupt any of that. <laughs> I don't even remember what you asked me. I'm sure it had nothing to do with Well, I actually even kind of anticipated my next question because I was going to ask you about, you know, how your life, you know, has changed since the accident and, and whether or not you think you'd be doing this, and you answered that um, oh. for me already, which is wonderful. And that you, I mean, because um, you obviously had time to think about that and, and, and what you've done, the action you've taken. Because a lot of times people can go, I, yeah, I've seen people go two directions after, something traumatic happens. You can either spiral downward or be actually three things or be frozen and not really know what to do or you can really, you know, use the kind of the, that, that incident and kind of springboard off of it into the next thing and changing your life to be happier, to do what you really love. Um, there are a lot of people who go into, you know, cubicles or, you know, into factories or doing things they don't love mm-hmm. every day. And it's, I mean, that's, that's sad. It's sad that, that so many of us compromise, you know, um, on that front. And you're not compromising, you know, and it's it's great to see that. And I think a lot of people are going to be inspired to hear what you have to say about that um, because you were in a situation where going back to your, your other job, I mean, you did that, but you made a choice to, to change things, and um, you're wonderfully successful. And I know success, you might think, well, geez, where's all the greenbacks? You know, where, where's all the money? But I think um, you and I probably agree that, and a lot of the listeners, too, agree that success isn't really measured. You know, it, it, I guess when you make things, 
you're not really measuring success as far as you're, you're having a big bankroll, you know, um, mm-hmm. because there's so many other rewards that you talked about. And, I mean, are you, in some respects, um, do you ever think about what things would be like had you not had the accident? Do you think you'd still be an editor? Um, I think about what things would be like if I hadn't had the accident every day because I miss walking so much. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, that it, it has, it's, it's really hard for me not to be able to do what I want to do physically, for sure. Um, as far as what I'd be doing career-wise, um, I mean, do you think you'd be as happy as you are with your career? No. No, I don't think I would be. I, I think that, you know, having the accident definitely inspired me to, I mean, I, I definitely felt like this weird sort of, um, bravery after that happened, you know. I, I, it was, it wasn't really bravery. It was more like purpose, maybe, or? Uh, it was like, this doesn't scare me. Like, I've been through something so horrible that this is like, this is nothing, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I definitely remember kind of having that sort of, you know, I mean, and lots of things that had scared me before, you know, at that time sort of didn't scare me. Like, I wasn't scared of getting in trouble for anything, which, I mean, to know me is to know that I'll do almost anything to not get yelled at. Um, I mean, a lot of that has kind of left me, you know, I've kind of reverted to my original personality in a lot of ways. And I don't know that even, you know, now if I wasn't so far into this, um, you know, that I would sort of choose to do it all over again or, or, or something like that. I mean, I have to say the financial component is, is I'm allowed to do this because I married Andy Paulson and he, um, he is the other half in, in so many ways of this, of, you know, both obviously my life, but also this endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you've got to be able to pay the bills. It's, it's not, like we said at the beginning, um, you know, starving to death and being in debt or whatever it is, it, it's not conducive to, to creativity or even happiness. You know, you've right. got to, like, find a way to, to make all that work and, um, you know, a, a lot of times we have to do things that we don't love to do, and we have to find ways to support ourselves because, you know, it's very important to do that. And, um, you know, there, there are lots of different things to do in life. I don't regret any of the experiences that I had previous to doing Posey because even though I might have, like, hated my job at a managed care company, you know, <laughs> deciding, or designing um, uh, newsletters, as much as I did when I was there, I can see that, you know, I learned PageMaker there, you know? Right, right. So it's like even even working as an editor and having all of the, you know, English stuff that I had in my background, I mean, that has helped me with Posey exponentially. I can't even track um, the opportunities that I've gotten as a result of, you know, just sort of being able to write um, a press release or or the incredible number of things that you have to be able to write when you have a small business. You know, all that stuff. I wouldn't have been able to pay somebody to do that. I wouldn't have, you know, I had to learn how to design a website. Luckily, I had a friend who kind of taught me how to do that. But, you know, when you're just starting out, you don't have money to um, be able to pay professionals, and you have to learn how to do a lot of stuff. Like, I absolutely did not want to learn how to 
I didn't want to learn HTML. I mean, not at all. But, you know, it's like if you, if you want to do the rest of the stuff, you kind of have to do the stuff you don't like to because um, that's just all part of it. Well, it sounds like you've, you're doing a wonderful job. And okay. don't rule out the whole writing a book someday. You know, um, think back to the, you know, the classroom full of dreamers. Yeah, I'm, um, that, that, some that's of us have to list. come through, you know. <laughs> well, you just have, I think, a, a fascinating story. You know? Thank you. Have you thought about that? I mean, do you want to write a book someday about? I mean, I don't know if you want, or if you want to just do a craft book, or what kind of? What are your future plans? You know, I don't know. I've got, um, I've got some ideas percolating for a craft book. I think that um, the direction I'm headed in is sort of away from from carpal tunnel. And um, toward doing a book of patterns that, you know, can be reproducible and um, allow other people to kind of uh, make the stuff for themselves. Most most of what I, I mean, everything that I make is actually very simple. I don't, I don't really like to challenge myself with the details because, of course, I have to be watching television while I do everything. And you can't pay attention very well if you're, like, you know, doing things that are extremely difficult. So... <laughs> I think what's appealing about what I do is is that if people really knew how simple it was, you know, they would find themselves quite capable of of doing almost all of it. So, um, you know, with an eye toward the future, I'm I'm putting together, um, you know, some ideas for compiling all of the patterns for all of the Posy products that I've made throughout the years. You know, there are probably like 30 different things. Um, and I would love to talk about, you know, definitely not my own story or my own, um, you know, the way that I came to do all of this. But I do love to talk about, you know, sort of some of the things that I've learned or some of the ways that I've changed. Um, and those have to do, you know, sort of with space and the house and organizing stuff and kind of, um, you know, finding ways to make room in your life to make things by hand and then figure out what to do with those things, like sort of find, you know, ways to make spaces in your house um, to accommodate, you know, these, these, these pretty little things that you've just created. I find that very, very satisfying. And I think that, um, you know, making things by hand is, is soul soothing on so many levels. Um, and because it works so well for me, you know, I love to encourage anybody to pick up a crochet hook or a paintbrush or, you know, I, I just, to me, it's just magic. So if if I could um, do a book that might help inspire people to just kind of revisit some of the things that they love to do as kids, whether it's, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, I learned how to crochet from my grandma when I was little or I learned, you know, how to do embroidery. You know, I mean, there is something so moving about taking up some of those hobbies again as an adult. It makes you feel, I mean, not only is it fun to do and, and um, good for you in a physical way because it sort of decreases your blood pressure and, you know, makes you kind of sit down and relax in this world where, you know, that's just sort of not acceptable <laughs> to do. <laughs> right. Um you know, to me, it kind of reconnects us with either our own past or an imagined past um, in a way that makes life feel a little more 
I don't know, just uh, a little more connected, I guess, with uh, people who, you know, in so many ways were like us and lived through tough times and and wars and, and all sorts of things. I mean, that's how I feel when I'm kind of doing these old-fashioned things. I, I'm, a, I'm very devoted to old women's magazines, and part of the reason that I read them, and I mean, we're talking like from, you know, the 20s and 30s, and I like to read them from times that were really challenging um, socially or globally because I like to see sort of what they were doing and, and how they got through that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, a lot of people have found a lot of methods for coping, um, and I feel like making stuff by hand is is a really good one for a lot of different reasons. So, yeah, I'm interested in kind of talking about that. Oh, that's great! It sounds like you have a couple, you know, a couple interesting avenues you could take in the future. And do you plan to keep making? I mean, will Posey still exist if you come out with this book? Would you just be creating different projects, or how? how yeah, do you no, plan? I think it would have to. Yeah, I, I um. Yeah, please I don't want stop. To be creating things. What's that? I please don't stop. I think no. people would be devastated at the end of the interview. People would put their heads down on their on their uh, wherever they are. Oh, you're yeah, sweet. You yeah, you don't want to have people uh, thinking, "Geez, great, Jennifer, you better just stop <laughs> making stuff." No, that's great. So you're just thinking that what you would do is take the like your past projects and put that out in a book form, and then continue to create new stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I don't. Um, you know, I don't feel. Uh, I, I'm perfectly okay with letting them go out into the world in that way, you know? Yeah, well, it sounds like, well, especially when you're kind of, your approach is to continuously come up with new things. Yeah. So if you were just doing the same thing over and over, obviously it would be quite compromising to your business if you yeah. suddenly gave away your pattern, you know? In well, yeah, form. and yeah. some of it I'm just so sick of. I, You know, I, I, I hope to never have to make it again. I won't tell you which ones those are, of course, but, you know... <laughs> I'm happy to let the rest of the world make some of the stuff. Let right, right. Well, that's that's really cool. And we didn't talk about any of your creative influences. I don't know. It sounds like you're probably influenced by those magazines you read a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you have any other artists or crafters out there that you really or feel like they influence what you do? Um, well, of course, you know, everybody says this, but it's so true. I mean, I think the whole craft blog community is just like such an amazing, amazing um segment of of people in general in every way um they're hugely inspiring to me and of course having the blog like drew said yesterday i mean having the blog really makes you accountable you know it's 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 just the fact that you know you have to sort of continuously update it means that um you you i don't know i just i i think i read more magazines than i did before i uh i don't travel like i said so I tend to read a lot of foreign magazines, um, decorating magazines, home magazines. Obviously, I'm hugely influenced by people like Cass Kidston and all my favorite English designers. Um, huge Laura Ashley fan. Um, you know, love Debbie Bliss. And um, I don't know, I'm very attracted to the sort of English country aesthetic, especially the contemporary one. I think that it's just... Uh, I just love it. I love it. I would like every single room in my house to be that way, you know. And I just, uh, there's something so homey and sweet and um, kind of, you know, kind of jolly about it that it really appeals to me. Well, that's wonderful. I don't know if you have any final thoughts uh, on 
just, I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of ground, and you've, you've just done a great job. You've oh, thanks. Well, you have great guest. questions. This is really a pleasure. Well, with you, I didn't even you. have to ask some of my questions. You just did a great job of just, you know, kind of telling your story, which is just so wonderful. Thank so, you. Yeah, you need to write it someday. Oh, you're sweet. Thank no, you. I'm not. I'm not just saying that. I really um, see. I'm really great at dishing out advice to other people about <laughs> what they should do their next venture. I, I kind of struggle a little bit with figuring out my own. <laughs> you know, I think the blog kind of has acted in that way for me. I hadn't written in about eight years. Well, yeah, since my accident, um, I don't think I'd written a word. I had occasionally done posy newsletters um, for my own mailing list, but um, I mean, something that's just so lovely about the blog is it's not intimidating and you just kind of go in there and before you know it you have you know several months of entries and if you look back at them collectively I think you know you sort of find yourself telling your own story um, and and through that I have uh, it's 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 a it's not a bad exercise to kind of try to make sense of your own stuff um, the way that a blog I mean I guess it's just implicit in the in the genre itself, but um, so hopefully, you know, the practice of doing that um, will will help me. Kind of, I think that it already has helped me to kind of make make some sense of the things that have happened to me and and given me a, even a direction for the future. So, well, that's the beauty of the the internet and all that technology that now is able to kind of give us a creative outlet online. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Amazing. I love it. Well, I really appreciate all the time you spent today. Thanks, Jennifer. Okay, nice I'll talk to, talk, to you. talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much to Alicia for sharing her story with us and living such a wonderfully creative life. Despite everything she's been through and everything the accident stole from her, she's creating so much beauty in the world, and that's fantastic. Please visit craftsanity.com for links to Alicia's blog and other websites. And if you like her creations, buy something from her shop and keep her in the business of making beautiful things. Also on craftsanity.com, you'll find a self-portrait that Alicia said I could post on the website, and it's a very powerful image. I could try to describe it here, but it just wouldn't do it justice, so I really recommend that you take a look. Thanks to Alicia for sharing that with us. This week's project is a super easy pattern for crocheted coasters that I like to make, so stop by and check that out. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week, everyone, and don't forget to craft sanity. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit craftsanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email jennifer at craftsanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.